Lord, thank you again for the, uh, for the worship that we've had. Lord, thank you for the, the passage that we're going to look at. Lord, uh, people are um, busy enjoying their blessings rather than thanking you for them. And Lord, we want to take time this week to slow down and to thank you for what you've done for us. So Lord, help us to learn uh, from these lepers that we read about. Lord, we love you and pray that you would teach and Father, I ask you to calm my cough down so I can preach, or if you don't, uh, then, then help people to uh, see past that and, and pay attention to the words and, and the, the sermon rather than the coughing. So Lord, we pray that you'd take that out of the way so it wouldn't be a distraction. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, let's look at lessons learned from lepers. All right, we're in Luke 17, 11 through 19. So guys, I'm a good Southern Baptist. I can make alliteration happen there. All right, we're going to read the, the passage that we read a few moments ago and remind you what happened. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And, he saw, and when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them... When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So guys, if we're going to learn lessons from these folks, the first lesson is that they realize their need. And you may think, well, of course they realized their need. They, you know, they had a horrible disease. There were fingers falling off and there was disfigurement happening. And they were banished from society. Of course they realized their need. But let's look in verse 11 through 13. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. So folks, they knew their need. Of course they knew their need because they could see their need. They could feel their need. Um, leprosy back in that time, and I know leprosy is not a huge uh, problem in certain parts of the world. It's not a problem at all. You probably don't know anybody who has ever had leprosy. And it was a bad disease, though. You would lose digits. Um, sometimes they would lose their nose or ears. It was a horrible, disfiguring disease, and it was very easily spread. And so if you had leprosy, you would be quarantined away from everybody else in society. Now, sin is a little different disease. Sin is not quite so easy to see. And so if we're going to learn this lesson, we need to see that there is a more insidious, a more harmful disease that, that we have today that is not so easily seen, and that is sin. There are people who are in pews all across America today who don't realize their need. They are substituting things for the healing that they need. There are a lot of substitutes you can have for a relationship with Christ. One of those substitutes is religion. You can go and attend a church and think that you are doing God a favor by showing up. You can maybe even come to Sunday school. And if you really, really want extra points with God, you can show up during the week, show up on Wednesday. 
Maybe even do the small group thing that I'm trying to get people to do. And that is a substitute for the real healing that some folks need is religion. And then, guys, there are false religions that tell you, you know, you can do enough stuff to be in a right standing with God. I had that kind of faith when I was a little kid. Uh, I watched the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner shows, you know, the cartoons. And I would see that when Bugs Bunny would die, he would get a halo and a harp and he would go up, okay? But when some more dastardly fella, um, like who was the guy that hunted Bugs Bunny all the time? Elmer Fudd. When Elmer Fudd would die, he would get uh, horns and a pitchfork and he'd go down to hell, right? And so my theology as a little youngster was, if you're a good person, you go to heaven. And if you're a bad person, you go to hell. And there are a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people sitting in pews on Sunday morning that still have that kind of religion. And so guys, we need to see our need. Our need is that insidious disease of sin that is sometimes so very hard to see. But you know, it's not just people in the pews on Sunday morning that maybe don't see their need. We've got neighbors all around us that aren't even making the effort to go to church. They don't see their need either. They don't understand why people go to church. They know that it used to be economically advantageous to go to church and make connections. It used to be good for your business. It used to be a good place to meet people. And it used to be just generally expected. Well, guys, it's not expected anymore. What's expected now is that you take your Sunday to play golf or sleep in or do whatever you want to do. And then a few old dinosaurs will get up and go to church or a few crazy zealots will get up and go to church. So there are people living right around you that have a disease that is worse than leprosy. Leprosy may kill the body. Sin, untreated, will kill the body and the soul. And so you've got neighbors around you that don't know they even have a disease. So we need to be the ones to let them know. So the first lesson is they realize their need. The second lesson is they asked for help in humility. If you look with me in just verse 13, it says, And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I italicized Master there to draw attention to it. Now, Master, what does that word mean? There was a wonderful movie that came out in 1987 called The Princess Bride. Um, I don't do the hand-raising thing very often, but I actually want to know, how many of you have seen The Princess Bride? Will you raise your hand? Oh my goodness, we got to have a church movie night. Y'all don't know what you're missing. This is a great movie. Um, in it, there is a guy who thinks he is, a, he is the intellectual one of this group of, of guys. And he keeps saying, here's the plan, and they keep trying to execute the plan. Well, when the plan doesn't work out, He says with shock and consternation, inconceivable every time that something doesn't go according to plan. And uh, there comes a point where, go show us that slide. Mandy Patinkin here says, he looks at that guy and he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Because everything that this guy thinks is inconceivable is happening right then and there. So, I want to talk about that word master. There are people who I think that word doesn't mean what they think that word means. 
See, these lepers called out to him in humility. They, they knew that they needed help. And they said, Master, have mercy on us. There is a teaching now, and it is, it is implied a lot of times, but even specifically articulated oftentimes, that says that you can have Jesus Christ as your Savior right now, and then someday, as the process of sanctification goes on, eventually you should make Jesus Christ your Lord. Well, folks, if He is going to be your Savior, He is going to be your Lord. That's not an optional thing. That's not a thing that comes later in the process. That is the only way that He does come. And folks, we see in Scripture a very clear example of a guy who comes to Jesus and he wants to be saved. The rich young ruler is who I'm talking about. He says, good master, what must I do to be saved? And I would love that if somebody came up to me and asked me that. I would share the gospel with him. I'd be going, God, this is the most awesome divine appointment ever. This guy has just come up and asked me, what do I do? And so Jesus... um, Now, I'm being sarcastic. Let me throw that out there before I say this. Jesus apparently didn't have any good witnessing training, okay? Because he didn't say, pray this prayer after me. He didn't say, admit, believe, uh, and confess. What he said was, uh, well, we got to deal with these sore spots that you don't even know you have. He said, well, you got to keep the law. And the rich young ruler said, I've done that since my youth. Of course, he hadn't done that since his youth, but... Anyway, he thought he had, but Jesus didn't argue with him. He said, okay, well, there's one thing you lack. Um, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Well, what is the first commandment? Y'all know the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is you shall have no other God before me. Well, this rich young ruler, had a. he didn't even keep the first commandment, much less all of them, because he had the God of wealth and riches that was more important to him than actually following Christ. And so what did he do? He went away sad. Now, did Jesus say, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. You can have me as Savior, and then someday when you're more spiritually mature, you can accept me as Lord and actually do what I say. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) He let the guy go. And Jesus, it says in the passage, Jesus loved the guy, had felt compassion for the guy. But he let him go because Jesus... If he is your Savior, he is indeed your Lord. So as these guys said, Master, they had the right idea there. Now let's get the answer from Jesus. Look with me in Luke, but in Luke 6, 46 through 49. And I want us to see what Jesus says about this whole Master thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose and the stream broke against the house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So do you see what Jesus says about there are some that hear and don't do, and there are some that hear and obey? Well, they're in very different categories. The one is in a rock-solid house built on a foundation that is not going to fall down, and the other one is not founded 
on anything real and is going to wash away when the flood comes. So when you call him Lord, let's remember what that means. When we call somebody Lord and or Master, that means they're the boss and we're going to do what they say. Don't think that salvation is possible apart from a changed life that submits to Jesus as Lord. So these lepers, they realized their need. They asked for help in humility because they addressed him as master and they knew that he was going to be the boss. Now look, the next thing is they asked for mercy. Verse 13 of Luke 17 says, They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Guys, you can receive one of two things from God. You can either receive justice or you can receive mercy. Now stick with me here. There are three things theoretically that we could receive from God. We could receive justice or we could receive mercy. Or the third thing theoretically that we could receive would be injustice. Uh, you know, we, we read about the Greek gods who were petty and weird and angry and mean, and they'd, do, they'd be out to get you sometimes. So if God were like that, it's possible that we could receive injustice from him. We could receive things that aren't fair but aren't mercy. They're just bad things that aren't fair, right? Well, with God, this is impossible because no one ever receives injustice from God. So there are two possibilities left for us. Mercy which is the one I want, and then there's justice. So these beggars, these, these uh, lepers, they said they wanted mercy from God. And guys, we're going to receive one of those two things from God. Justice is what we act like we want sometimes. If we're going to court with somebody else, some other person, we're going to say we want justice to be done, right? If somebody commits a crime, we want justice to be done. But when it comes to our salvation, our relationship with God, the last thing in the world we want is justice for us. Because justice for us is hell. We have been sinful and in rebellion to God. And so if God is just to us, He will condemn us to hell for our rebellion. Now, instead, we can receive mercy. But we've got to work out that deal before the judgment comes. Now, to add on to this, let me say that God is still just even when he gives us mercy because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people wonder, I guess, why, why can't God just act like sin is not that big a deal? I mean, if you do something to me, I can forgive you, right? It's, it's not that big a deal. I can get over it. I can forget about it. Why can't God just forget about it? Why did Jesus have to die for us? Well, the answer is so that God could remain just as he dispenses mercy to us. Because, folks, my sin was paid for. It's not, that I, it's not that my sin isn't going to be paid for. My sin was paid for on the cross. And so through the actions of Jesus Christ and his taking my punishment, God can justify the guilty and still be righteous. So they asked for mercy. And, guys, that's what we got to do. If we are lost, if we are under the condemnation, that disease of sin, we have got to come to God and beg for mercy, which he will give us. So they realized their need. They asked in humility. 
they asked appropriately for mercy. And then one of them, one of the ten, responded with thanksgiving. In verses 14 through 19, read with me. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So I have heard preachers say before that only one of these guys was grateful. (laughs) I got to say, I don't think that's true. Um, If you had a horrible disease that was going to take your appendages away from you, okay, going to lead to your death, going to be a, a sentence of banishment for the rest of your life, going to horribly disfigure you and and lose sensation in all your limbs, and you were all of a sudden healed, I'm pretty sure you'd be grateful. So it's not that they weren't grateful, but only one of them actually took the time and effort to come and give thanks to God. That should be one of the reasons that we gather together on Sunday morning. Now guys, why are we here? We're here to worship corporately right we worship together and praise God and that's kind of why we're here uh, on the earth I mean it's why God made us is to have relationship with us and to receive the worship that he is due and so that's a big important part of why we get together but another reason is to learn what God would have us do and that's why we preach and that's why we do Sunday school but another thing is to give thanks to God and that's what we do part of the time that we're praising God and praying to God and those different things. We want to give God thanks every single week, but it's great to have one day set aside just for that purpose. But guys, growing up, Thanksgiving was pretty much about food. (laughs) I mean, uh, it's about food and family, right? We'd get together with our family and we'd eat too much. Um, Thanksgiving can't be a rare opportunity for a believer. Thanksgiving has to be a, a daily practice and a weekly practice as we gather together for corporate worship. You know, we would have uh, a blessing around the meal and that kind of thing, and we would talk about what we're thankful for. But really, it wasn't anything weird and out of the norm except having family and food. Um, we guys, guys, we got to be in the practice of this so much that we don't save up all our Thanksgiving for one month or for one uh, day during that month. We need to do it every day and every Sunday as we gather together. You know, uh, I used to hear uh, people talk about the Lord's Supper before they would give it out. And they'd say, hey, if there is any sin, unconfessed, unrepentant of sin, you need to deal with that now. You need to take the time to pray. And so it became this occasion where all of a sudden there was repentance going on once a quarter or however often we did the Lord's Supper. Uh, guys, that's not what we need to do either. We don't need to save up on our repentance. We need to do that daily, hourly, weekly as we gather together. You know, I, uh, I heard a story one time about what Brother Jim, uh, who was our music pastor at Bellevue, one of the reasons that he thought Dr. Adrian Rogers was so successful 
is because he said Dr. Rogers kept a very short account of wrongs with God. Uh, I think I've told you this story, but I bet you forgot it since you uh, have slept between then and now. But let me tell you one more time. What happened was Jim had let the youth out a little bit late a couple of times, and they had come into the service late, and Dr. Rogers wasn't a fan of that. So he asked Brother Jim, he said, would you make sure that you let them out in time to get into the service so that they don't interrupt us? Well, after they had had that talk, the next time uh, the youth came in late. Now, it turns out it wasn't Jim's fault because he had let them out on time and something else had distracted them. Anyway, Dr. Rogers went to Jim and fussed at him and said, man, we talked about this. I told you not to do this. And he fussed at him. And uh, Jim, being the classy guy he was, he didn't. He didn't argue. He just said, yes, sir, you're right. Well, Dr. Rogers was about to preach, and he went to Jim before he could preach, and he said, I spoke to you harshly. I was rude. Um, I, I need to fix that. Will you forgive me? And Jim's like, yeah, of course. Don't worry about it. And he said, no, I am worried about it. I'm about to get up and try to preach, and I've just been a jerk here, and I, I've sinned, and I need you to forgive me, and I need God to forgive me before I get up and try to preach the word of God. And that made a huge impact on Brother Whitmire. That's Jim that I'm talking about. Because he said, God, God and Dr. Rogers had a very short account of wrongs. If Dr. Rogers did something, he would repent of it as soon as he knew that he did it. And so, guys, that's the kind of repentance that we have to have. Not something that we save for the Lord's Supper once every quarter, but something that we do as soon as we are aware of that sin. And guys, Thanksgiving should be the same thing. We don't need to wait on a Thursday in November. We don't even need to wait till Sunday. When God blesses you, thank him and bless him for what he has done for you. So we had 10 guys here that were grateful that their lives had been changed, but one of them that took the time and the energy and the effort to go and give thanks to God. So guys, if, uh, you know, you'll always hear, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, I can worship God in my deer stand, all those things that we always hear. And uh, this one guy, though, he didn't say, oh, I can worship God as I go see the priest and go home. He said, I'm going to take the time and effort to go and give thanks like it should happen. So guys, that's one of the reasons that we don't want to neglect getting together for worship is that we're going to get together and proclaim together our gratitude for the wonderful things that God has done for us. There's a pastor in the area uh, that Brother Brandon and I had lunch with because he has a, a growing, growing church. He said that he went to an older church um, established a long time ago, but also with senior adults in it that only had about uh, 80 to 100 folks in it. And now this past Easter, I think they had 1,400. So how did he do that? Well, that's what we wanted to know. And we went and we sat down and we had lunch with him. And he said, well, when I first got there, you know, we would go through our worship service. And it was, uh, we just have a funeral for Jesus. That's what he said. Those are the words he said. What he meant was that they would sing... Uh, some words, they would mouth some words while somebody played and they would look all depressed and sad and then they'd sit down quietly or maybe they thought reverently and go to sleep while he preached, okay? And he said it seemed like a funeral service. 
He said, so when I got there for the first year, we'd come and have our funeral for Jesus. He said, now, though, we get together and there is joyful, energetic worship that is full of thanksgiving. And we said, brother, you need to write a book for Lifeway and send it to us (laughs) telling us exactly how this happened. And, of course, he was a humble fellow, and he said, well, it happened through prayer and through uh, God bringing some folks to our church. And He didn't want to take credit for any of this. But, guys, when we gather and we worship, is it like a funeral or is it like a celebration? Thanksgiving should be something where there is joy present, right? And so as we worship, guys, you know what would help? One thing that would help is if we wouldn't sit 20 feet away from each other. When you sit 20 feet away from each other and you try to sing, you can't hear anything. You can hear me, you can hear the piano, but you can't hear anybody around you, right? If we were to sit beside each other, we might could hear each other praise the Lord and that might actually be encouraging. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to move because there's a 100% chance that that would result in failure. (laughs) But next Sunday morning when you come in here, consider, hey, maybe I should sit sit by somebody so that I can hear them worship the Lord, and so that I can sing and I can bless them as we celebrate and as we give thanks. Worship should be a celebration, guys. So let me ask you, what do we do about this? Um, We have heard that these lepers, you know, they diagnosed themselves, which we have a hard time doing sometimes. You know, the sin of pride is one of those sins that is so easy to see in somebody else and practically impossible to see in yourself. So guys, if you have leprosy, you're going to know. But there are a lot of sins that are hard to diagnose. So what do we do? The first thing is we need to realize our need. And guys, the way to do that is to look, as we've been reading in James, in the mirror of God's Word, and see what it is that doesn't in our life conform to what is in the Word of God. And then if we'll listen, if we'll be slow to speak and quick to listen like James tells us to, then we can soak in things that we need to take a look at and need to change. So the first thing we need to do is be like those lepers and do some self-diagnosis. We need to realize our need. When we do realize our need, what do we do about it? Well, we pray in humility that the Lord will take away that problem. Now, guys, if you're lost today, if you're, if you're in here today and you don't know for certain that you're saved, that you're in relationship with Christ, let me tell you, you do have a terminal disease. It's going to kill you physically. It's going to kill you spiritually. You're going to be separated from God for all eternity. Well, that may not be entirely accurate. One of the things that makes hell hell is God's punitive presence there. But anyway, you're not going to be in a loving, good relationship with God. You're going to be under condemnation and wrath, and that is not where you want to be. So we pray in humility, and we pray for mercy. You know, we talked about three things that theoretically you could get from God. Well, God is just, and so there is no way that any human being ever will receive injustice from God. But there are two options that you have. You can receive perfect justice from God. Or you can receive mercy from God. And if you don't know that you have that mercy yet, you need to ask him before you leave today. But guys, I want us to also think about our neighbors. They don't even know they're sick. (laughs) They don't even know they're diseased. And so they're not going to be asking Christ for mercy. They're not going to be coming to him in humility. 
because they don't even know there's a problem. You know, I have met a lot of people that have taken horrible drugs um, that in a slightly higher dose would kill them, and they take those drugs willingly, prescribed by a doctor. Why in the world would anybody do that? Well, that's called chemotherapy, right? People take drugs that are poisonous to them, that are harmful to them, in hopes that it will kill the cancer, and so that they'll be able to live a long and productive life, right? But if you don't know that you have cancer, odds are you're not going to take chemotherapy because it's, it's harmful to you. And so, guys, if we don't know, if our neighbors don't know that they have this disease of sin, they're not going to be looking for the cure. And so I know it's tempting to say, well, we're here on Sunday morning. We've unlocked the building. We've sung some praises to God, and we're preaching the gospel. If they'd have enough sense to come in here, they could get saved. Well, they don't have enough sense to come in here because they don't know there's a problem. That's why we have to go to them and take the message of Christ to them. And then, guys, for us who have been saved, who have been made whole and righteous in God's sight because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we need to respond with thanksgiving. And I don't mean just occasionally. Uh, I don't mean even weekly. I mean daily and hourly as God blesses you. Just thank him. But then when we come in here on Sunday morning, that is a special time of corporate worship. So let me encourage you, as I've done a lot of times before and as I'm going to continue to do, celebrate when we come in and sing on Sunday morning. Maybe even consider moving close to somebody so that they can hear you and catch your celebration. And so you can bless other people. You know, corporate worship, I use this word, corporate worship. Corporate means together as the body, right? But if the body is spread out all over the place and we can't hear one another, it sort of defeats the purpose. So let's think about sitting together, praising together, celebrating together as we give God thanksgiving in response to all the stuff that he has given us. Now let me tell you guys, if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, let me tell it to you. If you do know the gospel, let me tell it to you anyway because I want you to listen. Here's why I want you to listen. Some of you may say, I know that I need to witness to my neighbor, but I don't know what to say. Well, you're going to know what to say because I'm going to tell you every single Sunday. (laughs) And after a while, it's going to soak in and you're going to go, you know, I do know how to present the gospel because I hear Steve do it every single week. So let me tell you what the gospel is. We have sinned against God and we have separated ourselves because of our rebellion. Now, God, like we talked about earlier, is just and therefore he must punish sin. Well, that creates a big old problem for us. We're sinners, and he has to punish sin. So we have separated ourselves from God. God solved that, pers- that problem in the person of Jesus Christ. What he did was, he came here, lived a perfect, holy, righteous life. Have any of you ever wondered, why didn't Jesus come on a Friday to earth, be crucified, stay in the tomb, be raised on Sunday, and then go back to heaven. It would, have, it would have done the same thing, right? He would have died for our sins. Well, no, it wouldn't have done the same thing because he came as a baby, lived an entire life of sinless perfection, and then is willing to trade that life for your sin. Second Corinthians 5 at the end tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be proclaimed righteous. So we can trade, we can take our sinful life, our rebellion, we can give that to Christ who paid for it on the cross. 
And in exchange for that, he will take his perfect obedience, righteousness, beloved sonship, and he'll impart that to us. That is good news. That is reason for thanksgiving. And if you've never accepted that gift, let me tell you, there is no reason for you to leave here today without doing that. So we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If I can find Brother Jimmy, there he is, sneaking around back there. What are we singing, brother? Just as I am. Uh, So we're going to sing that. And if you today say, you know, I'm not sure that I know Jesus, well, come and talk to me. I uh, I can't save you, but I can show you the one who can. Let's stand together.